Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So uh, today's a big day. Uh, I've spent the last 17 shows talking about a theology of community, and today is ending that series, the 18th show out of 18 shows dealing with the power of community. So I'm going to summarize the big picture of why community is central to God's plan for humanity and God's plan for your life. Please stay tuned for this very important show. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm dreams with you. Well, we're coming to uh, the end of a path here. Uh, Someone thought I was joking when I told them that I was going to do 18 shows, 18 shows on community. Uh, I joke in my church sometimes that I'm starting the first part of a 20-part series. Uh, People know me, or people who know me know that I really can't stick with anything that long. But I wanted to go deep into community and to introduce Uh, the Fairly Spiritual audience, to my new book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And if you haven't listened to the show up to this point, welcome. Thanks for listening. But I've looked at every single chapter in the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And that book is available at Amazon. It's also available through my website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. And I'd love for you to pick up the book. If you've at all enjoyed what I'm doing, if you've connected with any of these podcasts, the best way you can learn more is to pick up the book, and I'd love for you to share it with others. But I thought, you know, regardless of whether people buy the book or delve in deeper, I wanted to share with you my heart. This is much more about than just writing a book. This is my passion. The church must be more or must be about more than just individuality. And in America, we have so much presented Christianity as an individual pursuit. And if you've been listening at all, you realize that for me, this has been a great struggle. I am someone that when I face conflicts, when I face trials, my tendency, my nature is to want to isolate. God called me to be a pastor, and when I became a pastor, or when I started out in the pastorate, I had many false notions about what the job entailed. And one of my false notions was this. I thought if I just did everything right, if I just pastored in a way that was healthy, I would avoid conflict. And what I soon realized is that no matter how you pastor, you're going to face conflict. You're going to face struggles. People aren't going to like you. And so as I began to realize that no matter how you do it, you're going to face conflict, I began to really dread the ministry. 
Because when you abide with people, people will hurt you. And I don't like to be hurt. And so when you don't like to be hurt, you you start trying to solve problems and solve conflicts for the wrong reason. Instead of uh, solving conflicts or helping with conflicts just because you love people, you do it because you don't want to be hurt. You do it because you don't like the feeling that you get when you're in a conflicted situation. And over time, the Lord has really dealt with me about why do I abide in community? Why am I called to be a pastor? And we've spent weeks here, months here actually, looking at the central role of community in the formation of an individual, in the formation of the Old Testament, in the formation of the New Testament, in the formation of the people of God, how community is central to salvation, to discipleship, to evangelism, to even the formation of Scripture. We've looked at how uh, often the church presents community as secondary to individual pursuits. We say, first get your life in order, and then once you get your life in order, then you can learn or worry about the larger body of Christ. But the Bible does not look at community in that way. It's always both the individual and the community. We know that Abraham was saved by faith, and that faith was credited to him as righteousness, but we looked at the fact that Abraham had faith in the promise that God gave him, and the promise that God gave him was that Abraham would become a great nation, a great people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. When we receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we enter into that gospel, we enter into the promise that Abraham entered into, that our role is to be a part of the people of God who will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. You were not just saved so that your sins could be forgiven. You were not just saved so that you could go to heaven. You and I were saved so that we could fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham, which is that we could be a people that could bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. We look at the fact that when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't call them as individuals, but he called them as a community. He discipled them as a community, and he sent them out not just as individuals, but in pairs. One of probably, if you would look at one of the biggest things that's missing in ministry today is the advocacy for pastors and leaders and ministers to minister in pairs. There have been more leadership books written in the last 20, 30, 40 years than any time in the history of humanity, and yet many of those Christian leadership books primarily miss this central truth in Scripture, that Jesus sent the disciples out to minister in pairs, that Jesus ministered in a group, that once Jesus ascended to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, his disciples went out and ministered in pairs, that we have the model of Paul and Barnabas. And even when Paul and Barnabas split ways, Paul shows us that he ministered with others as well, that ministering alone as the individual evangelist or the individual pastor who just does their own thing and has a team of people underneath them is not a biblical model that we see in the New Testament, or at least not the primary biblical model. That alone should cause us to pause. Literally, you'll go to conferences and there'll be this great, almost, I'm not saying people are trying to condemn you, but this 
pressure that you need to have a biblically-based leadership model, right? A leader of a large church will get up there and say, you need to have a... In fact, you'll see this. There's some really great leaders out there. I'm just going to say this, and I hope you get my heart on this. Bill Hybels, great leader. Rick Warren, great leader. Wayne Cadero, great leader. If you know these people, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you can research them. These are great leaders. There's nothing in these comments where I'm saying these are bad leaders. You could pick other leaders of large churches, large church movements. They put on these conferences telling you and your churches how you can lead, how you can do church as a team, how you can facilitate leaders and raise up leaders and structure discipleship pathways. Now, these pastors, they're struggling with how to transition their churches. They're struggling with how to hand on the church to the next generation. If you look at many large megachurches, now it's true of megachurches, sadly it's also true of just normal-sized churches or smaller churches, but it's very difficult for that pastor to hand that church to the next pastor. And primarily, the main reason they can't do that is because these churches are led, no matter how much they do a team model of leadership, no matter how much they share ministry, no matter how many pastors they have on staff, no matter how many volunteer ministers they have, they do not have a concept of ministry that is a pairs ministry that two people are leading. They have one person leading at the top. And when that person is trying to transition out, they don't know how to replace that one person. If all of these churches were led by two people, the transitions would be far easier. One person could transition out as the other person stayed there, and then that person could bring someone else in to continue to lead in as a pair. The church I pastor right now, I co-pastor with Pastor Dan Barons. If I were to die in the middle of this podcast, I hope it doesn't happen. But if it happened, one, someone needs to upload it. But two, if I were to die in the middle of this podcast, uh, the church would be sad. There'd be a nice ceremony for me. But they would go on without me because they have another pastor who has equal authority and equal ability to pastor the church. It is not Doug-centered. And although they, they value me and they value my giftings and I bring a unique role and a unique style, and, and yes, I influence the church and I have a leadership a role within the church, it is not so me-centered that it can't continue on without me because we minister as a pair, as a team, as two people. And that is a biblical model. And yet you don't see that biblical model occurring in the majority of churches, in 99.99% of churches in America. And yet you see that in the Bible. Well, why do I bring that up? Well, you know, sometimes we talk about the decline of the church, right? You know, the church is declining in America, and the world is falling apart, and what are we going to do? Well, some things aren't declining in the church because they've never happened. We never have had models of truly having two people leading a church or a ministry or evangelism or outreach or missions. It's not declining because those models were never seen to begin with, or they were only seen when Paul and Barnabas were doing them. So here's the good news. We don't have to hold on to some of these models. New models can rise up that might be more biblical. So we talked about that. We talked about leadership and how leadership is formed in community, how discipleship occurs in community. 
how spiritual gifts are expressed in community. How our role is not just to look at the individual pixel. You know, we talked about pixels, pixels in a screen, right? We're, our goal is not just to look at the individual pixel, but every television screen has, what, hundreds of thousands of pixels to make up one picture. And instead of focusing on the one pixel, which is my life, we're focusing in on the bigger picture, which is God's plan for humanity. Instead of just focusing on the one brushstroke, which is my life, we're looking at the thousands of brushstrokes, which is the big painting that God is making through us. And how meaningless life is when we make it all about ourselves. I've spent weeks on this, and I will spend the rest of my life on this, contending for something that goes against the grain of our individualistic culture. Regardless of how individualistic our culture gets, we must have a biblical understanding of community. And I see this right now. People don't like the church, and people are leaving the church, and there's a you know book after book about what's wrong with the church, and there's all kinds of stories about what's wrong with the church. And I could even buy into everything with those books. Okay, great. The church is wrong. Pastors are wrong. Everything's wrong. But regardless of what is wrong, there is no biblical excuse to not gather as community. So if you're going to leave an unhealthy community, you have to still form a healthy community. There is no biblical mandate anywhere to live in isolation. Purely, it is just nowhere in Scripture. You cannot find it. It does not exist. So regardless, whether you feel like the church has it right now or doesn't have it right now, we are each called to abide and facilitate community, abide in community, and to facilitate communities, healthy communities. And if you don't believe there's a healthy community anywhere in your community, then you are morally obligated to form one. If Christ is in you, Christ will abide with his church, and his church is the gathered body of Christians. And it's not just friends that you met at a large church and you left that large church and now you just hang out and talk about what's wrong with the church. That ain't the church. I know people get upset with this, but if you want to at some level have a biblically based church, it's got to be a gathered church. And I don't care if it's gathered in your house or gathered in a field or gathered in a restaurant, how it's gathered, if you want to have a 20-minute service or a 20-hour service, those things are all negotiable. But the concept of somehow moving forward as a church without gathering as the people of God is just not in Scripture. There's a reason Jesus traveled with the Twelve. There's a reason the Spirit of God was poured out on a gathered group on the day of Pentecost. There's a reason that the letters of the Bible were written to churches, not just individuals, and spread from church to church. And before the printing press, the only way you could even read the Word of God was to go to these church communities and have someone read the words to you. The church has always been, at some level, the gathered community. And regardless of how individualistic our world becomes, we must find a way to facilitate healthy communities. And I have no problem whatsoever for any person who says, I don't like that form of community. I think that form is unhealthy. I think that doesn't work. I think that's bad. I have no problem with any assessments about what's wrong with community. But once you've made the assessment about what's wrong, then it is your moral responsibility to partner with what is right. And if you cannot partner with what is right, then there's something wrong with your theology. 
because God did not create us to be miserably isolated and alone. And maybe you can only find three healthy people in your city who can gather and form a healthy church. But we are morally obligated to try. But what I've found is when we criticize communities and and tear down communities and judge communities, uh, that, that part is pretty easy. But once we start forming them, we realize that the same criticisms we've used of other communities might be used against us. And because we're afraid those will be used against us, we don't even try. It's far easier to be a spectator than to participate on the playing field. It's far easier. In fact, that's what I see in our culture. If I were to look at our culture, we have more spectators than ever. Most social media platforms are just spectating upon what other people are doing. We have Twitter where we can all comment about what someone else is doing. Facebook where we can all comment about a story of what somebody else did. So if you look at Christianity, fewer people are going into the ministry, fewer people are becoming pastors, fewer people are planting churches, fewer people are going to church, fewer people are facilitating healthier communities, but we have a larger and larger population of making books and articles and posts and blogs and whatever it takes to spectate upon the fewer people who are actually doing the ministry. Is it fewer or lesser? I don't know. Grammarians, you'll have to figure that out. So what do we have is we have less and less people are fewer people on the playing field doing the work and more and more people in the bleachers assessing how the work's being done. If transformation is to occur, ultimately someone has to get up from their seats and say, I'm going to go do it. Ultimately, that's how I came into ministry. I, 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 I'm dyslexic. There's a part of me that's an introvert. There's a part of me that can't stand being with people who doesn't like conflict, who doesn't like criticism, who doesn't like the fact that I'm saying things even in this podcast that people will get upset and they'll say something negative to me and it'll hurt my heart and I'll feel like crying and I don't want to be in that conflict and I'd rather just sit on the, you know, on the sidelines and not, not express my opinions and not minister and not have people leave the church and be upset with me and not be put in a situation of disappointment or not be put in a situation where I'm dependent upon other people for my salary based on the ministry that I do. I'd rather just be in isolation sometimes. I'd rather not be a not very good pastor. But I came to this point where, okay, the harvest is ripe and the workers are few, so I better do something. Because I want to stand before the Lord and say, I tried, I did something. Because what I saw was a ripe harvest and few workers. And instead of sitting around and complaining what I didn't like about other church expressions, I was going to try to contend for something that I thought was right and pure and holy. And then people could judge what I did, but I could say at least I tried and I didn't prevent others from trying. And if you listen to me, you know my heart that I'm not trying to prevent anyone from doing what God has put on their heart. And if God has put something on your heart, then you go do that thing. But it's a far different thing to be someone who assesses the doing of others than someone who goes out and does the work of the kingdom. It is far different to be a Pharisee who watches Jesus speak and criticizes what Jesus says than to be a disciple who follows Jesus and does the work that Jesus does. It's a different skill set. And we have a pharisaical spectator age. And we have an individualistic age where we're defining Christianity by basically what do I need for me and my life and my feelings. 
And I'm telling you, if I structured Christianity based on my feelings, I would isolate myself and just hang out with my wife and my kids because I like being with them more than anyone else. But when I read the Word and when I pray, God says, put yourself in situations that are difficult. Put yourself in places that you don't want to be. Love people that are difficult to love. Abide with people that are difficult. You can't get around this when you read the New Testament that it doesn't work out well for basically anyone this side of heaven. It doesn't work out well for Mary. What, what happens to Mary? She, she, she has this child, and what is it? She ends up having a baby. We know the story, right? There's no, no room in the inn. That means clearly that her family did not treat her well. She did, Clearly, uh, Joseph's family didn't treat him well. They have to flee from persecution, hide out in Egypt. It seems like when Jesus is at the cross, her husband has died. She sees her son be crucified. Mary did not live a good life this side of heaven, but she was faithful to the calling of God. You look at James, the disciple of Jesus, didn't work out well for him. He was the first to be martyred. You look at John, it didn't work out well for him this side of heaven. He was beheaded. You look at uh, John, the disciple, he was imprisoned on an island. You look at Paul, he was beaten and dragged out of cities, imprisoned and abandoned. It didn't work out well for him this side of heaven. You look at Peter, uh, it, the story, the history says that he was probably crucified upside down. You look at the, old, the New Testament church, look at the first deacon, look at Stephen, he was stoned to death because he took on a role of deciding to be a deacon and helping uh, the disciples who had too much to do in the care of the church. You look at the New Testament church, they were persecuted in such a way that they had to flee their homeland and go throughout the regions of the area because they had no place to abide. They were kicked out of the synagogues. They were kicked out of their homes. They embraced poverty. They embraced imprisonment. They embraced being thrown to the lions. They embraced a death to this world for the world to come. They valued the church above everything, and the fruit of it was not great prosperity in this life, but the fruit of it is the fact that we can sit around and complain about what's wrong with the church. This concept that somehow, you know, when I feel better, I'm going to get involved in the church, and when things get easier, then I'm going to facilitate community, and when I'm just in a better place... There's no better place when you're going to be thrown to the lions. There's no better place where you're going to be thrown in jail. There's no better place where you're going to be disowned by your family. It's either Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and he abides in you through the Holy Spirit and you're called to go out and advance the kingdom of God or you're not. And if you're called to go and advance the kingdom of God, you do it in every season, in every situation, in every city, no matter what. And if people join you, they join you. But if they don't join you, you still do what God has called you to do. So that's why I wrote this book. I realize how foolish that is. It's not a bestseller. Why do you want to read a book about somebody else? It's not about how to improve your life and your marriage and your family and your, it's about somebody else other than us. It's about the fact that if we get our eyes off ourselves, if we look beyond ourselves, if we live for something other than ourselves, we find out who we are. That to be human is to be in community. That to be one is to be with others. And I'll tell you, as I say those things, I say them by faith, but my nature, my desire is to isolate. I'd rather just sit behind this mic in an empty room and tell people what to do, but not actually hang out with people. 
I'm going to read some things from the book. This is the last chapter of The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. Here's something I wrote. Because I, I, as I wrote this book, I struggled because it, it called into question my desires and my heart and the things I was proclaiming, the duplicity in the way I minister, but what Scripture says. So I'll read just a little bit here. As I've, This is on page 230 of the book. As I've written about the community of God and the purpose of Christ's church, I have found myself feeling overwhelmed by my inadequacies as a pastor and as a person. I realize that there are so many behaviors in me that still lead to isolation and disengagement from the body of Christ. I am also aware that the church I serve has many weaknesses and failings that are in many ways the fruit of my own unique fears and insecurities. At times while writing, I felt inadequate in my authority to advocate for stronger, biblically-based Christian relationships. Often I recognize the incongruity between what I know to be true of Scripture and what I feel to be true in my heart. Although I know Scripture calls me to abide in and to facilitate authentic Christian community, my heart often desires to isolate from any possibility of pain, harm, or failure. Consequently, I can know that community is important to God, while I still make choices that limit my encounters with people or situations I fear might hurt me. Oh, what a mess of contradictions and conflicted actions I see in myself. Who can rescue me from this tension? In light of this inner turmoil, I find myself back at the beginning of the human story, when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. I think about Adam before Eve, the first human to walk this earth, holding the fullness of humanity within him. God made Adam complete and very good. Yet his relational existence was not good until God formed Eve. Adam's aloneness was not good at all. So God separated Adam from himself and created Eve. In creating Eve, God created community and humanity. In dividing Adam, God made him more dependent, but more whole. Adam became a relationship, an opportunity to give and to receive love. With the creation of Eve, Adam needed someone else to be fully himself. Only together would Adam and Eve be one. I can only imagine how Adam felt when he woke from his deep slumber and found an essential part of himself missing. I wonder if he experienced momentary panic or at least a feeling of incompleteness until he saw Eve before him. I assume Adam touched Eve, or even pulled her close to himself, to reconnect with the part of himself that had gone missing. Within this mystery upon mystery, we know from Scripture that Adam understood Eve to be the one who made him one again. As Adam discovered Eve, so we discover an essential part of ourselves through community. I was born into this world needing others to make me the man I am today. I needed family, friends, loved ones, and even strangers within my community to provide me with a larger understanding of my own humanness. As I've lived my life, I've discovered myself through others. When I came alive in Christ, I discovered my new life in Christ through my new relationships with His body. These human interactions made me more human and more capable of connecting with and understanding my relational God. Regardless of my limitations as a pastor, husband, father, brother, or son, I am still trying my best to connect with an expression of God's creation that is larger than myself. 
as well as I know how, I am seeking to love and to connect with the community God has created so I can say with confidence that together we are one. There are so many reasons not to abide with others, but Jesus Christ is not one of them. We can find many justifications to avoid connecting with a church, but God is not the source of such excuses. Community is a gift from God to make us human and to help us become who we are in Christ. Through community, we discover God's nature as well as our own. In community, we find a purpose that is greater than our individual wants and needs. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly individualistic. Our willingness to abide with each other in meaningful ways wanes as our selfish desires increase. Even so, we must continue to search the scripture to contend for a biblical understanding of how to abide together, and we must do everything in our power to champion biblically-based communities and churches. I wrote this book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, and I've done these last 18 shows with this one passion on my heart, to challenge each and every one of you not to pursue the path, the path of isolation. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's come before, there is a path of healing through community. Yes, community will sin against you. Yes, hurt occurs through community. Just as sin occurs in the individual, sin occurs through community. But God has made us human through community. He took Adam and divided Adam into two persons. Adam and Eve together became one. In community, we are one. Jesus prayed for the New Testament church that they would be one as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. In fact, that's why Christ went to the cross. It says in John 17, 20 to 26, Jesus said, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It is God's desire that we would be one as he is one and that in being one, we would know who God is and who we are. If you want to know who you are, you find it in community. If you want to know who God is, you find it in community. To be human is to be us. To understand God is to understand us. It is the mystery of the gospel.
All right. I'd love for you to delve into this deeper. You can pick up the Community of God, a theology of the church from a reluctant pastor at my website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. Or you can go to amazon.com. There's an Audible version as well. If you'd like me to read it to you, you can get it at Audible. Uh, If you've never had a membership for Audible, uh, if you get a first-time membership, you can download the book for free. So I'd encourage you to do that. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He loves you dearly. This theme music is done by my brother, Dan. Check out his music on iTunes. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through But you've spoken by your word Your Holy Spirit's leading me You are my only one You're the only one Worth living for So I'm My dreams with you.